Introducing Brian Breaker, the biggest icon in wrestling. Daniel Ross. This is the Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel. What is going on? What are you doing? We will not go quietly into the night. Hang on! Houston, you have a problem. Boom shakalaka! I'm sweating like a pig here. It's a lot of guitar! Mr. Freedom! Eat the pizza. Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time once again for the Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel, your weekly dose of nostalgia. My name is Brian Breaker. Joining me, as always, is my good friend Daniel Cross. Daniel, are you ready for some Saturday Morning Nostalgia? I'm ready. It's Saturday morning. Pants are encouraged, but optional. They're definitely optional. Um, We want you to be comfortable as you listen to this show. Uh, especially this week when we're talking all about road trip stories. Me and you have taken our fair share of road trips uh, involving you know the world of professional wrestling and everything else. So I'm sure we've got many stories. In fact, you still travel to this day, right, for your job. I was actually just – me and you met up a couple of weeks ago and at a, a toy store, Peddler's Post. we got to talk about that a little bit. And you were kind of – I was kind of telling you, I was like, man, I, I'm so not used to driving long distances. This, like, really it made me exhausted because it's – we were doing it so often, you kind of get used to it. Yeah, I drive around now a couple hours a day normally to uh, visit neighboring uh, school districts and things like that. So, yeah, I'm still uh, still kind of used to it. Uh, it's it's a different game now, I've you know, since because uh, I didn't travel for a long time. Mm-hmm. But uh, it has changed a little bit. I guess I'm uh, more up to date now. So, you know, as I'm traveling, podcasts are a big thing to listen to. That sure. obviously wasn't around when we were uh well probably was but we you know, didn't know we had hard enough time just getting cell phone service let alone <laughs> pulling up a podcast in our van right i i remember the very first time i heard a wrestling podcast when i was in florida guys like hey you guys want to hear the latest art of wrestling and i was like what's the art of wrestling which if people don't know that was colt cabana's podcast he was kind of head of the curb there and he just played it through the car stereo, and I'm like, this is fantastic. Like, this is so much fun. And um, kind of, you know, time went on, and I kind of grew my love for podcasting. And I was like, this is really cool that you can actually, like, listen to these while you drive. Like, that's awesome. So, Well, I remember, like, shoot interviews were really popular, like, in the late 90s, early to mid-2000s. Oh, yeah. And I guess, I don't know. I don't know if they're still around like they were, but it definitely seems like these podcasts have kind of taken the place of shoot interviews, you know, or at the very least, people are pulling up a shoot interview on YouTube while they're while they're driving or things like that. Yeah, I, I would say they're still around, but they're not as popular. I know a lot of shoot interview companies have actually kind of ceased operation on that. Like some will still do it, but um, not as prevalent as they used to be because now, like, you don't need the video of it really; just the audio is fine and. A lot of people kind of have switched over to just that because it's not totally necessary to have every element of a of a shoot interview to to be you know entertaining. Yeah, I remember like uh, when I first got into wrestling school, that was kind of the first times I started. Two thousand four, started to hear about all these shoot interviews and guys would bring them in. I'm like, what's a shoot interview? Yeah. Like, oh, it's like a guy who like gives you you know two ever, but they'll give you all the behind the scenes stuff. I'm like, whoa, are they allowed to do that? Right. Oh, I remember wrestling. It was yeah, wrestling had just kind of come out of all that, 
And it's funny, Harley did a couple of shoot interviews, but he would never break kayfabe. Or right. he, he would rarely break it, you know. Right. He might tell you a couple of inside things, but for the most part it wasn't anything that was going to, you know, break kayfabe. Well, back in those days, like, you'd buy the DVD, they'd be like 20 bucks, you know. So it wasn't, like, real cheap. You had to kind of, like, pick and choose which ones you wanted, you know. <laughs> but yeah. I, I do remember buying a couple of shoot interview DVDs back in the day for sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think somebody. Oh, I'm trying to think. There was one on Ted DiBiase. He had had one. I like. I like. Uh, still today, I love hearing all the ones with Kevin Nash. He's always a real good shoot interview to listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot out there still, and I'm sure there's a ton on YouTube and stuff nowadays. But yeah, it was it was definitely that would definitely help a road trip nowadays. But you know, you, you talked about getting into wrestling in '04. I got in in about '07, so you're a few years before me. Um, what do you remember about road trips? Um, I mean, we can be specific to wrestling, but just in general, what do you remember about road trips back in the day when you were kind of getting into wrestling? Uh, they were always pretty fun, and you had to try to keep them fun. You know, for the most part, in my, <clears throat> you know, we traveled, I don't know, probably more in my first couple of years than we did the last couple. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the shows, just because that's how WLW, World League Wrestling, was set up, was a lot of them were only an hour to two hours away. Right. But, uh, you know, once a month we might actually go on kind of a full-blown road trip where you're driving three or six hours, you know, one way, and then, you know, the same amount back. So that's kind of more of the memories. Or with WWE calls and they want you in, you know, Sioux City, Iowa, or something like that, and usually it's like pretty short notice. So, you know, uh, road trips like that where it's just you and maybe two guys, sometimes it was you and eight guys, Going to WWE, probably so like probably my first big one. I'm trying to remember. We did a Raw and a SmackDown, and it was my first time. Well, my second time going kind of backstage. First time I went, I wasn't a, a worker yet. I was still training. But uh, with this one, we were going to Raw, and I think it was in Illinois somewhere. And I actually did the Master Lock Challenge uh, that night. So it was uh, Chris. Uh, what the heck was his name? Chris Masters. Yep. So he uh, he was doing the Master Lock Challenge, and he had been doing it on Sunday Night Heat, and then this was his first night doing it on Raw. So I was uh, the guy, you know, picked to do that. And I want to say this was when Trevor Murdoch might have got his deal back in 2005. But it was like me and Trevor went up there, Wild Wave Chisholm. Uh, might have just been us three. So anyway, we went. I did that. That night, we went out and ate at some uh, restaurant that, you know, some hole in the wall. And I woke up the next morning, and I was, like, super sick. Oh, no. And uh, pretty sure I got food poisoning. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, so we're going to SmackDown, and I just, my head's, like, against the window, you know, the whole time I'm in the back seat. And I was like, oh, guys, we better, we probably need to find somewhere to pull over. (laughs) So... We end up pulling over, and I'm kind of walking around outside the car. I think they went and got a drink. And I went and I threw up. That was the first one of the day. Yeah. I went and threw up in a Walgreens. Uh, luckily, I made it to the bathroom. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm like, yeah, I'm sick. And I felt pretty good for about a half hour, and then here comes another round. Uh, by that time, we were in, uh, we actually had made it to the building, and we had to be there by noon. And literally for four hours, I was just in the bathroom at SmackDown. Ugh. And uh, it was awful. And, like, 3 o'clock hits, and it's like you're supposed to get your gear on and go down to the ring. I told Wade and Trevor, I'm like, guys, I I can't do it. <laughs> like, I'm just going to hide. 
I said, if anybody asks for me, you know, I'll, I'll talk to him or whatever. But I said, I can't be at ringside. If I get picked for a match or something tonight, I'm going to, you know, it's not going to be pretty. So fortunately, there was nothing for any of us to do that night except for uh, Trevor and Wade. I think they did some kind of backstage something with somebody where they just walked by and like Wade got like pushed against the wall or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, yeah, but I was just in the bathroom for four hours and it was uh, not good. So I was just, because it was like, I would just tell them like, hey guys, I'm sorry, I'm really sick today. Uh, but you don't want to say that. I also didn't want the chance of them taking away my $250. So I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to do that either. So I was just kind of hiding the whole day, hoping nobody picks me for anything. But that, it, uh, that's, it was that's a, a terrible one. story, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it was my first time going to WWE. So did you think at any point like this is it? My wrestling career is now over. Like they're going to look. At no, me. it was, you know, raw was fine. Like, I don't know. It's just, it was kind of also like, I didn't know what to expect. Cause it was kind of my first time going as a worker, but, uh, yeah, it was pretty rough. Luckily, you know, like I said, they didn't really have anything for us to do that day. Right. Like nobody got any dark matches or anything like that. So, uh, Trevor might've got one. Cause I think, yeah. Cause I think Trevor wrestled that Monday on raw. They liked him. Uh, and I don't remember his whole story. I know Chris Benoit like liked him and tried to give him a dark match. <laughs> so here's a funny one too. So we might have been in Oklahoma the first night, and then we went up to Iowa. But anyway, Trevor, he got a dark match, and then the next night on SmackDown, he was going to get another one. And I think they told him on Raw, they said, hey, you know, we're going to have you do a dark match tomorrow night too, and we're going to have some people looking at you. So Trevor was getting a pretty good look. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had forgotten his big, uh, like, cowboy, and that wasn't a cowboy thing, but this big robe that he liked to wear. Mm-hmm. You know, it really, it was really professionally made. He had it made in Japan. It looked really good. Um, so he calls his, I, I think just girlfriend at the time. They're married now. But he called his girlfriend and basically asked her, hey, can you bring me that robe? I'm in Oklahoma. You're in Missouri. So oh, no. He's like, I'm, he's like, I'm getting like a really good like look tomorrow night and I really want to look good. So his girlfriend in the middle of the night drives to like Oklahoma and brings him, brings him his robe. So that he could wear it on uh, SmackDown the next night or the whatever the the dark match, but uh, you know, I guess at the end of the day, he did get a contract, so I guess it paid off. So, <laughs> well, yeah, it was probably not because of the row, but I get his thought because when you're trying to get a deal, you feel like every little thing's against you, right? So you don't you wanna, oh, yeah. you don't want to do anything bad. So if you can look at even a smidge better, you're like, I'm going to take that extra step just to try to make this work. So I totally get that thought. Yes. I want to say she drove to Oklahoma. It was like seven in the morning when she got there, gave him the rope. Then of course I was already feeling, feeling sick. And then we loaded up and then we drove all the way up to Iowa for the SmackDown show that night. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was an interesting road story. <laughs> what about, uh, what about you? That's crazy that no one else got sick though. So it must've been just something specific that you, yeah. Heard. So I had an omelet, uh, that night. I want to say, no one else had any kind of breakfast food. They just had like steak and steak and something. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It must have been the eggs or something. Definitely must have been. I uh, yeah, I remember multiple times going to WWE and um, and just like I I don't know. Like I have so many interesting stories of being like uh, being there and like here's here's your changing room and it's like a curtain. And just as extra talent. 
and you go through the curtain and it's like the inside of a semi truck, like the trailer. And they put like <laughs> uh-huh. four chairs in there or five chairs or how many guys when you're like, all right. So it's like, you can't really like chill out in there at all. You're like, okay, I guess we'll set our bags here and hope that this truck doesn't drive away. You know, like, holy crap. Like it, it's, it, there's definitely been some, uh, some interesting ones. Here's, here's one for you. So in 2012, uh, me and uh, this guy named Jason Jones were extras at the 2012 Royal Rumble in St. Louis. And uh, that Royal Rumble, Ricardo Rodriguez was going to come out to Alberto Del Rio's music. I think he was hurt at the time. And it, they were going to kind of make fun. He was going to come out in like a real jalopy car, same entrance, but like this terrible car. Awesome. And, and he was going to do like the whole Del Rio presentation. Well, I guess they had trunks for him, but he needed white boots. And he didn't have white boots. And I think he wrestled in like, uh, you know, shooter shoes, right? And just wore kick pads, uh-huh. so he didn't have any type of white boots. So he comes up to me and Jason. He goes, "Hey, do either of you guys have white boots? I'll purchase them from you." And I'm like, "No." I was like, "My boots are like patent black, like they're kind of the shiny black." And Homer's like, "No, I don't either." Which is he actually did, but didn't want to like, I don't know. Like when you start treading in that territory, that's always kind of like odd to me like I don't I would lend someone I know my boots if they needed them but I, I wouldn't want to um, I don't know give a stranger my boots I guess if that makes sense right and so I didn't blame him for saying that he didn't because he had these white boots trimmed in uh, silver which would have probably been fine and he was like well even if they're black could I could I paint them white and I'm like dude I have one pair of wrestling boots like no, I'm sorry. Like, I was like, that is such a weird request. Like, you're going to offer me money to paint my boots? Like, not to mention, that's not going to look good. Which I guess the whole presentation right. wasn't supposed to look good. But I'm like, sorry, man. And he ends up coming out there in, like, some white, like, they almost look like boxing boots. They're a little bit taller than uh, than wrestling boots were. But I was just like, I don't know. I thought that was a weird thing. Like, they want him to look bad, but, like, they want him to have white boots. Like, I wonder if you couldn't have wrapped them in, like, athletic tape or something. You probably could have done something. I, I felt like that was weird to be like, hey, can I buy your boots and paint them white? Like, I thought that was a weird request. I'm like, the laces are still black, man. Like, you can't paint a shoelace. Like, what do you... uh-huh. I don't know. I just thought that was a weird thing. I'm just like, no, sorry. I need those. Like... I'm just here's an extra. I don't know, and he's a cool guy, but I was just thought that was a weird, uh, a weird interaction for sure. So here's a good one. Uh, <clears throat> this would have been an '05, and I think I told this on not this podcast, but a different one of yours. Probably, uh, you know, it's fake, right? But Macho Man had come in to Eldon, uh, and I can't remember where the first show was at. Maybe Warsaw. But anyway, he uh, he was in rough shape. I don't know what the deal was, but. He was like, again, all, all my uh, stories involve vomit, but he, uh, <laughs> on the way back from the show, he was riding with Harley. Harley was pulling over like every 20 minutes and Macho Man was like stumbling out of the truck, throwing up, all this stuff. He just looked awful. And uh, anyway, he was supposed to, well, no, he did. He was coming to Eldon that night for a show. So Harley calls me. So we did the first show Friday. The second night was a Saturday Harley calls me like early Saturday morning and he was like, he's like, Dan, I need you to go pick up macho man from his hotel. 
I'm like, uh, okay, no problem. So I go there, and my whole time I'm driving there just because of how he looked the night before. I was just thinking, this is it. I'm the guy who's... <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking, okay, there's going to be, like, uh, TV cameras there and all sorts of stuff. So, I mean, he just, like I said, he, that's how bad he looked. Like, he did not look like the Randy Savage we all were, were thinking of. Right. So I go to pick him up. And I get to the front desk, and I said, you know, is Randy Savage here? And the, the clerk is like, yep, let me just call his room. So they're calling and calling and calling like four times, and the phone's just ringing and nobody's picking up. So it's like this, these are my worst fears coming true. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is really happening. And then uh, finally, like, I could hear it loud over the phone, even though the clerk was on the phone. I heard this like, what, what, what? He's like, uh, sir, there's a, there's a man here you know, to, to pick you up for a, for your show. And he's like, yeah, I'll be right down. So then uh, it was probably like an hour later, he finally comes down the stairs and pretty much looked the exact same as the night before. So anyway, we end up driving, driving all the way to uh, Eldon. And I'm marking out, too, because I'm probably 20 at this point, maybe 19. And you got the macho man in your car, dude. I know. I like got the macho man riding shotgun, just me and him in a car. But unfortunately, he wasn't in the talkative mood. Like I tried to get him talking about something, just to just to have that, you know, just to say I had a conversation with him. Sure. <clears throat> but uh, I remember, like, I I was into the instant tan stuff, and like I had all my my hands were orange because that's how you're that's how it looked when you're doing the instant tan stuff. Oh, yeah. So I like I brought that up, and I was like, man, this instant tan just turns your your hands orange. And then all he's like, he's like, uh huh. And I was like, okay. I'm like, so do you sleep okay? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, and that was the extent of our conversation. So uh, it was an awkward 20, 30 minutes back to the uh, back to the Eldon Community Center, but there you go. So this didn't happen to me, but I saw it. We had uh, Roddy Piper come in for a show for Harley, and um, the next day, he, I mean, he was super nice to everybody, like super super like you know talkative and like hey how are you and you know and everything like that and then the next day one of the guys had to pick him up to take him to the airport and so he picked him up at that main hotel there in Eldon which I'm sure you know I can't think of the name of it but it's the one kind of off the highway there uh-huh. he yep. picks him up in a pickup truck and so Piper throws his bags in the back and then he just crawls in the back of the pickup truck and just lays down in the bed of the truck. And so the guy's like, um, hey, man, you want to set up in the cab? Because I'm good back here. Thank you. And he was like, airport's about two and a half hours away. He's like, hey, all right, I'll climb in the front. <laughs> I was just like, could you imagine, like, driving down the road for two and a half hours in the back of a truck and being like, and then like he like raises up and someone's like, Hey, there's Rowdy Roddy Piper in the back of someone's truck. Like what the crap? So weird. Yeah. Some of those legends, they're a little out there. Oh yeah, definitely. So I just thought that was like a ridiculously weird story, but yeah. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, I, I think I've told the story before about Mike Adamley meeting him the first time, and uh, uh-huh. I'll kind of rehash that a, a bit. I won't go into as much detail, but essentially, we were all going to WWE in St. Louis, and uh, you know, I was always pretty meticulous about packing my bag because I never wanted to forget anything. 
And so, you know, I got my boots, my gear, my knee pads, all that stuff. Well, I forgot to pack an athletic, like a t-shirt and athletic shorts. And usually at Harley shows, that's what I would wear to the shows were maybe a pair of jeans, but I usually always had a, you know, a t-shirt on. So it wasn't as big a deal, but I forgot to pack anything to work out. And I'm like, I don't want to walk down there in my, my trunks, but like, I don't even have a t-shirt cause I'm wearing a button up shirt. Right. So I'm like, that's not going to work. And so I, um, we stop at a gas station and they had a Mizzou shirt. So I bought that. It was like 12 or 15 bucks or something. I, I needed a t-shirt. I didn't care. And, uh, luckily go Shiozaki from pro wrestling. Noah was with us and he had an extra pair of pants that he let me wear. So I was like, Oh, thank God. So I had something to wear, but, uh, I'm walking backstage just in these pair of like Noah pants and, uh, you know, this Mizzou t-shirt. And Mike Adamley, you know, super nice guy. And, you know, I I kind of marked out because he was the host of American Gladiators, right? So Oh, yeah. And now he's, like, doing color commentary or play-by-play for ECW. Not very well, but he was doing it. And he, I walked by him. He's like, hey, good game. I'm like, yeah, thanks. And I, <laughs> I thought he was talking about me wrestling earlier because I – it was one of those days. I think it was, like, a super show. So they were doing Raw and SmackDown the same day. So we got, like, two minutes of ring time, if that. Basically, I locked up with Denty, did a couple of things. He caught me, gave me a back suplex. And I'm like, all right, that was good. Next two? Like, that was a call we did. And I was like, oh, thanks. And he kind of shoots me this super confused look. He's like, yeah, did you did you see it? And I was like, no, is it, is it playing here? I'm, I'm still thinking he's talking about the match. Uh-huh. Like, are they, is, it, is it playing somewhere here? And he's like, no, it was yesterday. And I was like, oh. Okay, and I'm I'm super confused, and he's like, "I'll see you later." And I'm like, "Yeah, see ya." Like, what the crap is going on? And I look down at my shirt, and I'm like, "Oh, he was talking about the Mizzou game." And I, I didn't, I did not put any of that together because I'm not a big football fan. I just was like so confused at what he was talking about at the time. So yeah, that was my uh, my funny Mike Adamley story. But no, that it, the thing is with WWE when you go there, there's always been some weird interactions like I uh one time this was it was me and Jason Jones again because we went several times and it was was like in 2010 probably they were doing the NXT show where they had uh like Joe Hennig on it and a few others and that's when they made him do like obstacle courses and all this weird stuff very strange time I don't know if you watched any of that but it was a very strange time and so we were at ringside. We didn't really get to do much, which was not uncommon, but it was, it was what it, it was, what it was. And so we, uh, go down, we literally go to catering and we make, and they put out breakfast food. We're like, Ooh, that'd be good. So we made like some pancakes and sausage and eggs and stuff. I literally, I'm about to take like my second bite of this amazing breakfast plate that I made. And John Cone comes up and goes, Hey, I need you guys right now. We're like, Oh, okay. He was like, just throw your food away. Come with me. We're like, all right. So we just threw away two big plates of food. We He takes us to the stage, and Vince is sitting there, or standing there with a, some lady, I don't know what she did. And he's like, and Cone's like, I got a couple guys for you. And he's like, hey, how are you guys? I'm like, I'm good. He goes, I'm Vince, nice to meet you. And he's like, what's your name? And I tell him my name. He's like, all right, Ryan, here's what I want you to do, Ryan. And he kept repeating my name, which I thought was... <laughs> a little odd. Well, and what's funny is there was another extra there. There was me, Jason, and this other guy we didn't know. And in the time of us sitting down to make our food, he was like, I'm going to go get, I'm going to go go ahead and get dressed. I'm like, oh, okay. 
was like, yeah, that's fine. We're going to stay in our stuff just for a little bit until the show starts and we'll probably get dressed. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go and get dressed. Sure. So he comes, I think we decided that. Then we decided, you know, we'll go take a leak or whatever and then we'll come back and make our plate. By the time we came back to make our plate, he's fully back in his suit. Then John Cone's like, hey, I need you guys real quick. And he goes, you need me? And he's like, no, you're dressed. <laughs> so <laughs> that guy then goes and changes again. And he's the biggest doofus I've ever met in wrestling, one of them. So the, the story is all very, very funny. So anyway, what Vince wanted from me and Jason is he wanted us to run the NXT obstacle course so he could get camera angles like he wanted. Uh-huh. So he told us very specifically, he goes, I don't want you to go fast. I want you to go very moderate pace, and I am just looking for camera angles. All right. So we go through, and it's like, you know, jumping through tires and climbing over these three walls, hitting a square, doing 10 push-ups, and walking a balance beam. It was really ridiculous. And you basically do this whole thing around the ring. And we get done, and he's like, great, thank you. That's exactly what I wanted. This dude shows back up in his workout gear. His boots are untied, and he's trying to, you know, kind of like get ready on the fly. And they're like, all right, you guys are good. Thank you. And uh, we're like, all right. And John comes like, yeah, go back to catering if you want. We're like, all right. And that dude's like, I guess I'll go change again. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What a doofus. It was funny as he comes back in his suit again. And I was like, hey, they need us at ringside again. He's like, oh, really? And I'm like, no, I'm joking. He's like, I'll get changed again. I don't care. And I'm like, all right, pal. Take it easy. <laughs> but I was just always thought that was such a weird, a weird thing. So you reminded me, actually, an interaction that I had with Vince that I uh, hadn't even thought about probably in 10 years. <clears throat> but uh, just a short little interaction, me and him were on an elevator. And uh, I got on the elevator, and I had just changed into my workout gear and was heading down this elevator to go to the ring. And I don't know what building we were at, but anyway, he was in there with, I think, probably some kind of an assistant, some female. Yeah. Or maybe it was his friend for the night. I don't know. <laughs> but... Uh, Anyway, I get on the elevator, and he was like, anybody talk to you about the dress code? And I was like, uh, yes, sir. Just, you know, I came in my in my uh, slacks and, you know, button-up shirt and just changed to, uh, you know, go down to the ring. And he was like, ah, ha, ha, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> Super awkward, right? He was like, it was probably like, yeah, I'm just kidding, but not really. Because I, I probably got dressed too early. I was always one of those. I would always get dressed. Before I needed to, just in case something came up. So I was probably already dressed in my workout gear, probably at 2 in the afternoon. It, it's, but, one of those, uh, it's one of those things that you have to almost make an appearance in your dress clothes to show that you had them on. Right, yeah. It's and weird. Then, and then you had to like – well, I remember one time we, we did a show. This is another funny story. And we uh, it was in the winter. I didn't have a winter dress coat because that never really came up. And so I had no other coat to wear and it was freezing outside. So I just had like a, some type of hoodie, like an Adidas hoodie that I was wearing. And so like, I remember wearing that in the building, hoping no one saw me and I quickly took it off and like rolled it up and put it in my bag. So uh-huh. like as soon as we got in the door, cause I'm like, I can't let anyone see me in this thing because you know, my God, you know what I mean? But then you also have to like walk around in your suit or your dress excuse me, your dress clothes for a little bit. So people see you in them yeah. and then switching over to your gear. But we got in a habit. We would get there. We'd drop our bags. We'd go look in the arena. Okay. The ring's not set up so we can go eat real quick. You know, kind of like you kind of like figure out your day after you've done it a few times. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, another time, so when I did, uh, well, it was when I did the Master Lock. So they stuck me in a Batista T-shirt, nice. which is already awkward because, like, I'm sitting there walking around backstage in, in a Batista shirt. Right. Like, I look like a total mark that's just wandered backstage. And uh, I already kind of felt awkward about that. So then I'm sitting there. I think I was getting, like, they had, it wasn't catering, but they had some kind of table with drinks or coffee or something. They usually had a So I was just getting there. some coffee. Yeah, yeah. So then the head of security, he was always this bald guy. Do you remember him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he came up to me and was like, uh, what do you know about the dress code? And I was like, oh, I said, this is, I said, I'm wearing this. I'm actually, I'm doing the master lock challenge so that I'm supposed to look like a fan. And he's like, what's the dress code? (laughs) I said, I said, well, slacks and like a nice shirt. I said, I had that on earlier. And he's like, okay, just check it. And then he like walked away. And uh, anyway, yeah, but I, I, it was really awkward because I'm sitting there backstage in a Batista T-shirt. Again, 2005. So, I mean, nobody probably knew what the heck I was doing that night. I just, I guess they all, either they didn't care or whatever, but it just, you know, it felt kind of awkward. You're just backstage looking like you shouldn't be there. Yeah. You know, you're not dressed up. You're not anything. And I don't know. Here's a, so here's a good road story. It was, uh, do you remember that little, I want to say it was a Mazda that Denty Moore, the Beer City Bruiser used to drive, mm-hmm. that little red car. So me and him were booked in uh, some show he was, or some company that he used to wrestle for in, uh, I guess, Wisconsin. Yeah. So it's in the winter. It's probably, it was just a couple weeks before Christmas. I remember that. So it was freezing cold outside. The back of his window was busted out. So anyway, we, we leave Missouri. It's, it's pretty cold. I'm in the back seat. He's driving. And then uh, his girlfriend at the time was in the passenger seat. And uh, this car is just this little tiny red car. I think, like I said, it was probably a Mazda or like a Geo Metro or something. I think it actually was a Geo Metro now that you say that. Was remember, it? Okay. I remember <laughs> driving in it a couple of times. Yeah, just this really tiny compact car. You might have been able to fit a second person in the back seat maybe. But anyway, the window's busted out. We're going, you know, we're taking a highway all the way there, going like 70 miles an hour in December, and it was so cold outside, like, as that wind was coming back in, because the whole, the whole car was freezing. It wasn't too bad in the front seat and the passenger, because you can be, and I don't think he had heat, if I remember probably, right. Probably not. And even if he did, I don't know that I could have felt it in the back seat. So, anyway, Missouri was horrible. We get to Iowa. That was getting worse. And then by the time we finally actually get up to, like, Wisconsin or Minnesota or whatever, I mean, it was so cold. I, like, had everything I had, like, all my gear or different shirts that I had brought. I was, like, layered up, laying down in the back seat to try to avoid the wind. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, you okay back there? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to sleep. Yeah. But I was like, oh, this is miserable. Oh, yeah. Anyway, just kind of a classic uh, wrestling indie road story. Well, and then we get to it, and wherever it was, they were like, uh, Denty Moore, he came up to me and was like, hey, uh, you're going to be the tag team champion tonight. And I was like, cool. He's like, yeah, we're doing this thing where, like, when I bring somebody in, whoever my partner is is going to be the tag team champion, or maybe, like, we were a part of a group or something. And I was like, okay, cool. So for one night, I was the... uh, I don't even know what they were. Beer City Wrestling, I think, is maybe the name of it. And me and Denty Moore wrestled Greg the Hammer Valentine and Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. The dream team. 
Yeah, we wrestled the dream team. I have like no recollection of that match at all. Maybe I, maybe I blocked it out of my mind for, <laughs> for my own sanity. So, uh, anyway, yeah, I think I got in there with Greg Valentine, maybe. And, uh, yeah, that was about it. I think they won. They beat us on a double roll up or something. That was the finish. But it's so weird. Like, I've been trying to remember that match forever and like, I have no recollection of it. But I was in there at some point. <laughs> it's <laughs> weird. Those guys. It's weird how you have matches and like you don't really remember all the details of them. You're like, I know I was there. I know this happened. Like you know, I this definitely happened. How do I have no memory of this whatsoever? It's definitely strange. But I've been there too. Yeah. So they beat us. They beat us for the the BCW Tag Team Championship that night. Fantastic. Yeah, that yeah. I never apparently won. They just gave it to me like, here, you're the tag team champion. Okay, thanks. <laughs> so this isn't really a road trip story, but I don't know if you ever dove into this. When uh, you know when Harley ran his camps, you know he'd have 65 to 70 guys there trying to get you know a look with Japan or a look with WWE, whatever it might have been. But a lot of them turn in resumes, and you know he had them all there, but he just he didn't Harley didn't care. And that's the thing about a wrestling resume. I've had a lot of people ask me like, should I do a resume? And I'm like, well. I mean, you can, but I don't think that really matters. I don't think WWE's ever been like, hey, let's sign this guy. What's his resume? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God, he doesn't have one. No, back back of the list, you know? Yeah. But I I remember having a guy one time message me. He's like, hey, what was the name of that company we wrestled for in Oklahoma? So I told him, hey, what was the name of that company in Arkansas? I was like, I think it's called this. Hey, what was that one company we wrestled for in Kansas? And I'm like, dude, I don't even know. He's like, oh, well, I'm wanting to put him on my resume. And I'm like. Yeah, that doesn't matter, man. Like, just because you wrestled for, you know, Kansas All Pro Wrestling or whatever, like, it, no one cares. I was like, you could literally make up promotions and titles. Like, that's not, like, I was, it was so weird. Like, he was, like, so dead set on getting every promotion he's worked for. And I was like, just say, like, hey, I've wrestled in these states, you know, in the Midwest area, you know, what, like, that's, it's such a weird thing. And wrestling has always kind of been like that to me, where, you know, in one hand, I'm sure if you got the word, hey, if you come up with me, you're going to wrestle Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake, that sounds awesome on paper, but in reality, like, you don't even remember the match, you know? So I know. Probably wasn't that big a deal in retrospect. Nope, and I remember, I don't think we got paid either. <laughs> there you go. Because <laughs> there was, uh might have been 200 people there. Yeah. But that probably all went to Beefcake and Greg Valentine, so. Yeah. I remember doing a couple of shows in Wisconsin for him and then like traveling back through Iowa, doing a show there and it just being like, yeah, this kind of sucks. <laughs> like this is right? not, not that exciting. <clears throat> in retrospect. That brings up an interesting topic though, where you, you know, that was always kind of the piece of advice they would give us is take every booking you can drive everywhere. But then I also wonder, is there a point where, I mean, why would I want to drive, you know, I understand paying your dues, all those things. But at the same time, if I'm going to drive somewhere, uh, you know, I and now that Valentine Beefcake, that's probably a bad example. But, you know, if I'm going to drive over to Indiana and just wrestle some indie guy, I mean, the purpose of it hopefully would be to get better. Right. And there's always something you can learn from every match, even if it's a match that you have to carry, you know, and the guy you're in the ring with is terrible, you know, just getting your reps in and all that. But also wonder, is that the soundest piece of advice, you know, to, to take every booking you can, you know, especially when it's like putting you in financial peril? <laughs> yeah, that's a big thing I've heard a lot in wrestling. And also, too, I'm sure you've heard this one. Like, you never know where your opportunity is going to be. Well, 
I'm pretty sure when I got booked in Humboldt, Kansas in like 2011, I knew that wasn't my opportunity, but probably. Yeah. I don't know. Like it's, um, that's a big catch 22 and that's something I don't think you totally realize when you're, um, new to the business because you do want to take every booking possible and like, you know, like you driving in a, you know, geo Metro or whatever from Missouri to Wisconsin freezing to death. Yeah. It's probably not the best probably not the best use of your time, you know, not only that. And I, and I'm sure you, you face this too, especially being in Eldon. Uh, this is kind of the real life aspect of it. When I didn't work weekends and I chose to wrestle, I made a lot less money. So if I, you know, yeah. like I said, if I got paid at all, like I, like I had to give up being a server at the time, I had to give up, you know, Friday nights and Saturday nights usually, and only time it ever really benefited me was to do WWE extra work because I was usually on a Monday and Tuesday, which were not typically um, busy nights as far as making money. Mm-hmm. So I actually made more to do the WWE bookings. Um, I don't know. It's I, I've I've had a big issue with with independent wrestling for a while as far as how it's structured because to me. Like I, I had a promoter reach out to me when I was still active, and he wanted to do a three-match run in his promotion in St. Louis with a guy who I wanted to work. And I was like, oh, that sounds good. And he's like, here's what I'll pay you each show. And I'm like, man, I'm looking at double that just in gas. Well, that's really right. all I can do. And I'm thinking like, okay. Like it's – how is that even something I consider when you should be paying me this much Plus my gas, you know, like that's, that's to me only fair. And I understand it's independent wrestling, but I'm like, yeah, I've already been in NXT and to Japan a few times. Like I should be getting a little bit more than this and I'm not trying to be greedy or anything, but right. I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, it does. <clears throat> it's a little different, you know, when you're 19, 20, like when I would go on those trips to Indiana or to Wisconsin or Places like that, I knew I wasn't gonna. I'd be. I knew I was lucky if I was gonna get fifty bucks. Right. You know, typically I would kind of uh, plan it out ahead of time. Like, okay, this is coming up. It's gonna cost me this much. Sure, I did that. You know, I'm mostly just going for a little bit of experience and to have some fun. Yeah. You know, I'm not going thinking this is a wise financial decision. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And and yeah, there is a thing there. Like promoters, they think you're like. Even though they may only be paying you forty dollars, they think like you should owe them that they're giving you some kind of great experience or right. exposure. Or, you know, you're benefiting yourself by letting by them allowing you to wrestle on their card. You know, there's still a lot of kind of carny aspects to wrestling that never quite uh, it never quite outgrew. And and I get it because a promoter is probably not in a position where he's going to be making that much. But I even offered, I was like, well, I know a lot of guys because I was living in Oklahoma at the time. I was like, I know a lot of guys in Oklahoma I could bring up. I don't know what they would come up for, but probably not a lot. So if you wanted to offset some of your cost by getting, you know, me yeah. bring, bringing three guys, we could do that. And um, yeah, I just, it wasn't. It just it wasn't going to work out, and I'm like, I'm not going to take a loss on this just because you want me to come and put your guy over, which I have no problem putting him over. But I'm like, no, I'm sorry, like it's just not going to work, and you know, it just it was very disappointing how the business was, where it's like, how could I even consider taking a booking where I'm making, you know, 
so little money. Like I, I just, I never, I never got that aspect. And that was a really hard thing for me to, uh, to ever really consider, I guess, because like, I wanted to take the bookings. I wanted to do the show, but it's like, I don't want to lose all my money at the same time either. So it was always kind of disappointing. Like, yeah, you know, where if you feel like, Oh, if I can get like one I'll break even, but it's like, that's not, that's not good. Like it trans should be separate. I've always been a big believer in that. Oh yeah. Do you remember, I don't know if you're around, do you remember Janice? He was Ted DiBiase's friend oh, yeah. from Mississippi. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I think he was with us on that road trip. So, yeah, we must have took two cars because I rode with him a little. Yeah, that's what it was because I rode up there with him, and then I'm with Denty, and I'm like, okay, screw that. I'm riding back with Janice. <laughs> yes, Because he actually had a car that had heat and stuff. So Janice was a, such a good guy. Yeah, yeah. So he was good. He he got into wrestling. Not sure why. He was a manager. Yeah. Uh, I think because he just wanted to hang out with his buddy and maybe like have fun. I think he had fun with it. And I think once he got into it, he enjoyed it. And he was actually a pretty good manager, honestly. Yeah, he was. He could talk. He was, you know, pretty good. So, but I did. I felt his frustration on the way back because he was like, he's like, dude, like we didn't get paid tonight. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> And uh, he's like, but, like, I'm going to spend, like, $60 in gas by the time I get home. I'm like, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, this sucks. I'm like, yep. Yep. And he, I don't think he started coming around too much longer after that. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, I think maybe I made $20 or something. I think I just gave him the 20 and I'm like, well, here you go. Yeah. And he's like, no, dude, like, I don't expect you to give me, like, all of your money. I'm like, I said I didn't come up here. I knew I was going to. I know I wasn't going to make anything coming up here. Yeah. He's like, well, geez, I wish somebody would have told me. <laughs> yeah. He said, I went to, he's like, and nobody's like chipping in for gas. And like, I'm like, well, I said, if they ride with you, they should chip in for gas. I said, but, uh, you know, just part of, part of how it is. So when I would go out of state, I knew I wasn't going to make any money. I more or less did it because it sounded fun. And maybe it was one more state I could check off the list because I always kind of had the goal to wrestle in as many different states as I can. So, like, I wrestled in Ohio for free. I wrestled in Wisconsin and Indiana basically for free just to kind of, you know, say I went there. And But uh, that was, you know, pretty typical, you know, back in the day. Probably still is today. It's also one of those things where, like, I'm glad we went through a lot of these situations because that gives us stories for this podcast, obviously. But, you know, at the time, like, I don't know how many times I was just like, Ugh, what am I doing? But then at the same time, right. I remember, I remember Bonsai, you know, a good friend of, you know, mine. And I know you know him as well. He did do a couple of those road trips to Wisconsin. And I was kind of like, yeah, I can't, I got to make some money. And he did it like two of them, I think. And he'd get in at 7am. He'd come into work at 10am, very little sleep. And he was like, man, that's that trip sucks so bad. And I'm like, <laughs> yep. and I figured it would. And, but I think we're like, again, we're in that mindset of, it's all for the business. We got to do it yep. for the business, and it's uh, not not always the wise decision, you know. I uh, I know when I came back to Oklahoma, uh, you know, I hadn't really ever wrestled out here, honestly, because um, I did most of my training in Missouri. But when I came out here, I realized there was about five promotions, five or six promotions at the time, and that's changed obviously. But five or six promotions within a uh, hour to hour and a half drive. And I used to tell all the guys, like, you don't understand, like, this is pretty good, like, for you. Because Mm -hmm. there's all these places you can work without having to travel five and six hours. 
Now, on the other end of that, anytime somebody got a booking out of state, he'd always ask people, hey, you want to do it? And they're like, oh, no, I'm working for this promotion. I'm working for that promotion. Like, man, you're not going to get anywhere if you don't travel out of state. And I'm like, well, that may be true. But, like, at the same time, it's like just doing some crappy prom- promoter show in Texas isn't going to be that much different than wrestling this crappy Oklahoma show. You know, so it's kind of all the same, I thought. And so at least having local promotions nearby did help fix that wrestling bug a little bit. Yeah, well, and Harley was a little different, too, because Harley, there were certain promotions in Missouri he didn't want you to wrestle for. Right. So, you know, it wasn't necessarily, like, it was kind of like you almost had to drive three to four hours out of state to not get heat, like, with him and BJ, because they kind of looked at any Missouri, you know, they looked at any Missouri promotion as kind of the uh, the competition, and we shouldn't be working for the competition. Right. So especially there was uh, oh, a couple of guys in St. Louis. I don't think they were real happy with guys going up and wrestling for. Yeah. So it was yeah, it was like, hey, Harley, got a, I got another booking. And it's like, where is it? I'm like, oh, it's in Cincinnati. All right, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but it, then he'd always be like, but I don't want you working for Big Ben over in St. Louis. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I won't work for Big Ben. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny, uh, there was a promotion that came up in Kansas City. Um, a few years after I started with Harley and they hit me up, Hey, would you like to work this show? We're going to do local television and it seemed like a big deal. And I was like, Oh, cool. So I go run it by him. He's like, ah, we're running Kansas city next month. So probably better not. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> and then like, I look at their results and it's all WLW guys. <laughs> I'm like, Are yeah, you freaking kidding me. Like what the crap? But anyway, it, I don't feel like I personally missed much by uh, not taking that opportunity, so I don't. It wasn't that big a deal. But anyway, yeah, definitely um, one of those things where it's kind of a catch twenty two sometimes with uh, with wrestling, and if people are looking to get into business, like you know, it's sometimes hard to navigate those waters. You just kind of have to do the best you can, and not every opportunity is a huge opportunity, but some of them are. So just you know, kind of. Look at it for what it is. Like, I know uh, people have asked me before, hey, is it better to do a seminar with a name than do a an indie show? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, is that name going to get you a booking? Probably not. Is he going to get you a contract? Yeah. Definitely not. So I don't know. It's hard to say what the better thing to do is. You just kind of have to go with your gut, I guess. I mean, even when you go to WWE, it's not – It's yes, it's an opportunity, but there's very few people that are actually going to be looking at you. Right. Well, and this is how it was 15 years ago. It's even it's changed now. To me, I would say there's no opportunity. You know, if they even bring indie guys there, they pretty well made a clear statement: "Hey, we're only looking at college athletes from here on out." Right. Now, not to say if you're amazing, you know, you you can't still get a look. I think you know everybody could, but you know, it's definitely changed. So, but yeah, I mean, if you go to WWE, I would like to think that's an opportunity. If you're if you happen to be on a card where Triple H is there for some reason, some indie show, or maybe I'm trying to think, I don't know, William Regal might be there. Yeah. You know, maybe that's an opportunity because he still has, you know, ties and connections. But generally speaking, if you're just going to an indie show, probably not a lot of opportunity there for much of anything. Probably not. Um, but again, you never know like what might happen. Um, so uh, we could probably do a part two on this somewhere down the road. Cause there's so many stories to tell, but as we wrap up on time, what do you say we uh, spin the wheel again for next week? Let's do it. All right. We still have several topics on here and still have TGIF. Let's see what happens.
Uh, freaking Steve Hoker, man. He's the luckiest man <laughs> in the world. Um, TV crushes. All right. Is uh, is the is the winner. So uh, that will mean that will be next week. We'll be talking about our favorite TV crushes. We've probably kind of touched on this a little bit because uh, we all had, you know, different TV crushes probably over the years. But, um, yeah, I mean, especially in the 90s, man, there was always those, like, I always kind of go back to the the original three, Kelly Kapowski, Topanga, and uh, the Pink Ranger, right? Yeah, I know we mentioned the Olsen twins a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week. Uh, Again, we were the same age, people. Exactly. It was not weird. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah, when they were 12, 13, 14, you know, we were also 12, 13, 14. Yeah, I'll have to do some thinking. Maybe we can pull out some that we uh, hadn't thought of in a, in a while. But, uh, yeah, yeah. definitely. All right. Well, thank you guys for checking out the Saturday morning Rumble Wheel. And, uh, actually, it's my – I'm closing it up early. It's my week for a plug of the week. Um, so you know what? We kind of touched on this a little bit. I'm going to plug uh, Peddler's Post. Uh, if you're in the Bolivar, Missouri area, check out Peddler's Post. Me and uh, Daniel made a little trip up there a couple of weeks ago to check out some some toys and various junk and everything in the store. But there was a lot of cool stuff there. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah, we uh, first time I'd seen you probably in person, I don't know. Two, three, four years, something like that. So I think I was in Missouri last in October. Of 2020, believe it or not. Wow. Yeah, it's about three years ago. Yeah, so I actually have some vacation time coming up again in October. I may uh, make a trip up there at least for a day or two, so just cool. to see some old friends. I'm not 100% sure yet, but I'm hoping to make that happen. And I still would like you to come down here at some point so you can check out the Vintage Toy Mall. I think you would enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, you'd mentioned when you were there, it's about the same size as that Peddler's Post, and that's the biggest one I think I've ever been to. So, yeah, yeah, if you got some that are the same size or bigger, like I'm all for it. Yeah, it would definitely be fun to fun to check out for sure. But um, so, yeah, that's my plug of the week. Peddler's Post. Uh, check out my other podcast, the TB Toycast, and uh, coming soon once again, Breaker and Bane's Power Hour. Um, also, check out a lot of our podcasting buddies, Fully Posable, um, Tales from the Estate. And so many others. I don't want to leave people out. There's a bunch of podcasting friends I would I would love for you guys to, to listen to. And that is about all we have. Next week will be TV Crushes right here on the Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel. So thank you guys for checking out the show. And we will see you guys next week with some more Saturday Morning Nostalgia. <laughs>